0: Hello everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, Chief Marketing Officer at Science.
1: Hi everybody, this is Harry Evans with you again, the Director of Craft and Strategy at
0: Science. Boy, what a fun episode we have today! We have Gabrielle GB Blackwell, a name that, frankly, everyone in the sales development space should know.
1: Yeah, for those who don't know GB, she's been the sales development leader at places like Gong, Elevate, and excitingly, we can finally announce Airtable. So, some places you might be familiar with. And what really stood out to me and, and to to you as well, Eric, was she has such a people centric approach.
0: You know. Yeah, I think that that's really her superpower. In fact, she shared with us, and this is a great takeaway for other managers listening, that you know her infinite curiosity about the members of her team was really something that gets the best out of them. In fact, she even got a little vulnerable and, and shared with us, you know, some critical learnings at the hands of, frankly, as she put it, some terrible people.
1: Yeah, she was very unique in her approach to employee development and just her approach to looking at the people on her team. And one thing that really stood out is her approach to diversity programs. You know, GB is one of the founders of the Women in Sales Club, along with Alexine Moudouar, shout shout out to Alexine, who I've worked with in Chicago in the past and also focused on more than just women in sales, not to, to understate that group, but also a lot of the other minority and diversity programs out there talking about overall diversity. So really had a unique take and just excited to hear what she has to say.
0: With with that intro, let's get to it. This is a power-packed episode.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast. Really happy to be here with Gabrielle Blackwell, also known as GB. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Very excited about the call today. So there are a number of topics we've been excited to to cover with you. You've had a very interesting uh, trajectory. It's been interesting following your career path. Uh, We were actually just talking a little bit about uh, your time Back in the day at Act On and then going all the way through Gong and some of the exciting things that you have going on now moving into the future. So excited to ask about some of your experience at those jobs and then move on also to some of the topics like women in diversity and sales and a number of the exciting projects you're working on. But to start, would love to hear about your your experience that led up to here. You've got a kind of an eclectic background that led to a, a unique sales development resume and would love to know how those experiences have kind of shaped you up until now.
2: Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll talk about my origin story of how I got into sales. So there was a a few things that were happening. I was 24 years old. I had just moved back home Chicago from Paris, France, where I had left my ex-husband, who was not a great human being. Not going to lie about that. So uh, when I came back, I had all of like negative 457 euros in my bank account. I was living on an air mattress in my uncle's basement, uh, and and I just remember thinking to myself like I've I've got to do something here. So I think there's a few a few key themes that were happening for me at that time. So I felt very like disempowered. I felt very unsupported, and I felt like I was always so dependent on other people, and that just like wasn't really what what I wanted and what I desired out of my life, and so. When I came back to Chicago, like there was a few things that were happening. I was interviewing for a bunch of different roles. I thought I was going to the people side of the house, like HR, recruiting, people ops, those kind of things. And I remember I didn't get past the first interview, <laughs> if I even got an interview. So I I can specifically recall like just running around the city like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to just get attention from anyone. And when I took a moment to sit down and think about, all right, I, I don't want a job. I want a career. And where is like, and so what is the career that I want? And so I just started to think about all the different parts of business that I was interested in and I really couldn't pick one. I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm going to work towards this being a CEO. And when I started to look at like where CEOs really starting their careers from, like sales popped up for me. So that was like part one of it. And the next part of this was, okay, well, what are the kinds of like, experiences that I think are going to best suit me as a person? Um, what kind of companies do I feel like can offer up an experience that'll suit me best? And so that's how I got started. That's how I chose startups. So for so so I'm like, all right, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into sales. And I wasn't thinking about I want to be a salesperson. It was I'm starting my career off like in pursuit of being a CEO, and this is step one. Now, like, what up happening after that is you know like, I apply for a job on Wednesday, so I apply for an SDR role on, on a Wednesday. I remember seeing cold call, cold email, and being like, what has my life brought me to? and (laughs) i did it so you know and i and i uh that same job that i applied to on a wednesday my first day was the following wednesday within a couple of months i was like top performing sdr within three or four months i had broken all the records for meetings booked meetings held quota attainment all of that i very quickly worked my way up into um like producing at a rate of 3x the not the next top performing rep so along the way it wasn't just a matter of like oh hey i can i can do this job very very well i found myself being very very invested in developing and learning and growing and along the way something's happened i'm like oh snap i can actually afford to have my own place i can move out of my uncle's basement like now i have opportunities i have choices and I'm living a, I'm like, I'm living a way better life than I've been living for the past few years since I was just hustling. I didn't even have the right to work when I lived in Paris, so like very very quickly I was like, this is an amazing opportunity for me to really be able to support myself, to go for that independence, to go for that freedom that is very very important for me, and then also I had an amazing team of SDRs. It was actually a team of all women. <laughs> Funny enough. And so my, like my first sales gig was a team of all women, except for my manager. So like that did not, like, I, uh, I was, I was spoiled in that way. Cause I was like, oh wait, sales is a bro culture weird. Um, and I also had a, an incredibly caring manager who really just, I mean, even from the first conversation, like, one of the first conversations that I had with him, I could tell that he really wanted to look out for my best interest as a person, not just as someone on his team. And and I feel like he really cared about me and wanted me to grow in the ways that I wanted to grow. And it wasn't always a matter of, oh, I want to grow as a professional. It was, I really want to build up my confidence. I really want to build up my self-esteem. Like I, I feel like sometimes I sabotage myself because I don't see myself as all the way worthy. And he was always there to encourage me and cheer me on when I was doing the things that I really cared about. So like I think that experience of... Like being able to realize a lot of the things out of life that I wanted to realize, but also growing as a person, building up confidence in myself, building up my self-esteem, really starting to hold and honor my own self-worth. Like That initial experience in sales, like that's, that's what showed up for me. And I think that's a huge reason why I continue to be a leader in sales development. So I'm like, you have folks who are coming into a career. Um, a lot of folks are unsure... A lot of people feel like, you know, they're like, I, I feel like an imposter. And so to be able to offer up perspective or advice or just share with them a story of like what you're feeling is totally normal. And, and so I, I feel like I have the opportunity. I have the fortune of being able to show up in the way that my, my past manager showed up for me. And I recognize how impactful that can be for me in my career, for me in my life. And it just raises the standard, right, of like leadership and whatnot. So for me, I think that that origin story and what was going on for me and how meaningful it was is really what, like, why I'm I'm at where I'm at right now.
1: You know, I don't think there's ever been a time that story would be more relevant than today. Uh, Eric and I constantly see so many people getting into the sales and sales development world now, or at least dipping a foot, dipping a toe in the water and saying, maybe I should. And they're coming in from yeah, from restaurants, they're coming in from service industries and you know everything we can, you can imagine. I mean, factory line workers that have been waiting to do more, and all of a sudden they feel empowered to make money like you talked about. Uber drivers who worked 14-hour days and they're like, hey, I'm ready to go get it. So for the first time and we've all heard about the great resignation and everybody changing careers i think sales and sales development we're getting to see that and your call out about imposter syndrome it's it's all the more true now because we have people who are not fresh out of college or not fresh out of high school maybe they're 30 40 50 60 years old and they're saying i want to get into sales or sales development wait you want me to make cold calls with those kids sitting next to me um it, it's it's a very daunting experience, but you just laid out some of the the wonderful rewards that go to it, the independence, the the financial earnings, all those things. So I think that's a story that our listeners, a lot of them will want to hear as they kind of think about those career transitions and, you know, can I do this? Is this for me? It's Mm -hmm. really for everyone as long as they realize they can do it.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if sales is for everyone. Okay. That's (laughs) fair. I don't, I don't know if sales is for everyone. And the story I'll share, like, I think there's been so many times in my life, like, pre, like, I'm thinking about my college day. So, pre getting into sales, I think there were so many opportunities that I had where I didn't give myself, I didn't, I didn't give myself the opportunity to put forth my best effort and I missed out on a lot of things. And I was listening. So, so that's like part one. Recently, like, recently, meaning like the past year or so, I was listening to, I was listening to Kevin Dorsey. And he had shared something on the lines of a lot of people more often than not have invested more effort and have committed more to their high school sports team than they do into their actual career. And that was a hundred, like when he said that I was, I, I just, uh, I, I thought about like, I played volleyball and basketball from sixth grade throughout college. I was in, I was a club athlete as well. So that's money. That's time it's a lot of money it's a lot of time and I thought about how much effort I was putting into those two sports all year round for like what 15 sixteen years and I'm like, have I even come close to that with my own career you know you know so that was I, I think there, um so for so for me I forgot even where I was going with all of this, but I think for me being in sales like I have an opportunity to like put forth that kind of effort that I might not have given myself to the chance to do in the past and with that I really can own my own career in ways that I don't know that every single profession can and so why i would even say that like not everybody is like you know I don't know that sales is meant for everyone I've definitely come across folks who do not want to take ownership over their career they don't they don't want it it's not they don't desire it. Like it probably takes some really like transformational event in their lives to like go, all right, want to change the way that I approach my work. And I, for those folks who are kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit, I think sales can be quite a gift of a career.
0: I'm really curious, especially to get deeper, unpack some things you just said earlier around your own individual contributor being a top performing SDR And I would focus on the three C's that you let us know about. First of all, you picked kind of sales as a career choice. Second, confidence that you had maybe as a result of a caring manager. But what would you say were the ingredients for your own individual contributor success?
2: I'm just going to, I'm going to base it off of my strengths that when I was first starting off as an SDR, I don't. Know that I I didn't I don't know that I had an awareness of what my strengths were. Actually, that's a lie. That's a lie. I didn't know what my strengths are. I'm a learner. I, I'm a big old nerd. I love to learn, and like I've always been that way. So that to me was the biggest thing. So even if I didn't have confidence, even if I didn't have support, because I've been in situations where I'm like, yo, confidence is shot. It's not where it's not it right? Like, and I and I I don't feel supported at all, or encouraged, or if anything, I'm in a demoralizing environment. And typically my thing is, all right, I got to go learn how to be better. Right? Like if I want to be better, I have to learn how to do it. So um, I think that's part one is I, I have a total like learner's growth mindset. I think that there's a learner mindset of like, I'm constantly pursuing information, constantly pursuing understanding, just like this insatiable thirst and hunger to better understand. So that's like number one. So cur- a curious AF. I think the second part is kind of going into the mindset is that growth mindset. There's been, even if I don't, even if I'm not confident all the way, or I don't even say confident, even if I, even if I feel like my, my level of self esteem is pretty low, I always, I'm always like, yo, right now is a moment. And even if this moment isn't all that great, I can make a choice. I can make a decision to make things better. And so one of the things I'll ask myself is like, again, that, this is even the same thing of like what brought me into sales. I want to be a CEO. Where do I start? What is my next best step to get me closer to where I want to go? So I think I always had that mindset of like, all right, what is the next best step that I can do to get me closer to where I want to go? So that's growth mindset, then it's 100% that. So even when I was in SDR, uh, I think there's another piece here of being resourceful. So like for me, if I if I know I want to learn I know that I can make choices that will change like what my current state looks like, or I can change my, what my future, where my future state is going. The next piece of this is like finding the resources that can help me get there. So even if I don't know, I'm not afraid to go and ask for help. I love asking for help. So, I'm like, I don't have to think so hard about things. So, for me, I, I think I had I, I had a lot of I had a, I had resources that were available to me because, like, my grandfather was in sales at IBM back in like the '70s. He worked up to being a leader, uh, working up into leadership at IBM. So he had a career of twenty that like, spanned twenty years. So, like, I can go and talk to him. He had people who worked for him because he was all, he also had his own company. And they sold. So I got to reach out to those folks. Right. And so, like, I had one mentor, his name is Derek, and he's a business development executive at Deloitte. And Deloitte's office was two buildings away from mine. So we would meet up for lunch like once or twice a month. And I would just tell him about what was going on. And so he also ran trainings at Deloitte. And he's like, so he like knew how to support me at where I was because he was training the individuals who were in the exact same position as me. So he's like, here's what you need to know. I'm going to give you a little things that you need to know. And I don't know that anybody else was getting that information on my team. So already I'm just accelerating my learning at a rate at a rate of three X, right? Like everybody else, which is probably why I got three X the results. So I, I, I'm going to really base it on those three things of like, I love to learn. I, I'm always learning. I'm always investing time. Like I time blocked or calendar blocked the first 30, 30 to 45 minutes of the day before work. I came into work early. I came into work 45 minutes early. So I can get my coffee and then I can do professional development for 30 minutes. And then I'd go about my day. So I always had that in there. I was always like, I can always get better. The situation can always improve. And then basically it was just like, there's too much stuff that's happened in life for me to believe that like someone says no to me on a call and I'll be shook. Like I'll be fine. So like, and then the third piece of this was again, I can, I can go out. Like there's a lot of people who've already been doing what I'm trying to do and and I'm, I'm going to just, I have this relentless pursuit to understand. And so I'm to, that also means that I'm going to go and find the people and the places and the resources that I need to figure out the situation. So I think those to me are really the, the big three things. And I don't think it's a matter of like confidence, right? It's just a matter of like, let me just lean on my strengths and I'm sure I'll figure it out.
0: Sounds like you had some really great enterprise mentors there that could help, you know, point the way and guide where you're going. I'm also curious you shared with us previously that, you know, your initial job was really calling on enterprises as well, you know, the billion dollar plus firms, biggest of the big. What was your mindset of, you know, kind of like penetrating those types of accounts as that an individual contributor?
2: So I don't know if this if this is still relevant today, I want to be honest, but I think there was, there's a couple of things like it's, I don't know, maybe a lot of my stuff is just like mindset. I can't, I don't know that I can say, Hey, like follow these three steps and everything is going to work out. But the mindset that worked for me very there's well no easy was, button? I don't know. There's no silver bullet. Right. So the quality of your work is really going to be defined by the quality of your list. The quality of your list is really going to be informed by the quality of your research. That's part one. So for me, my whole thing was. At any, I think like six months into the role they at that, uh, so the company was called CODWords, but six months into that role, I had a list of 200 to 300 pre-vetted folks. Like I remember going to my manager, cause he's like, how are you getting these results? I'm like, I think it's just my list. Overwhelming amount of research, but I'm like, I figured out a way to operationalize my research using account-based, but also contact-based methods. I knew my personas very, very well. And I knew what kind of projects and programs they were running. So, like I would do pro- like I would do program and project based research to be able to surface up the people who are involved in that. And I'm like, great. So that was part one. Then the next part of this was just like have conversations. And and there was one big thing that my mentor Derek, can I can I swear on here? Is that okay of to swear? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I can't tell, <laughs> I can't share this quote unless I can swear. So this is something that Derek shared with me. And he goes, Don't tell anybody I told you. So of course I'm gonna tell everyone. He goes. <laughs> In the context, And here's my asterisk is like in the context of sales, cold calling, it's a yes until it's a no. And even then it's still a yes until it's a fuck no. And at least then I know what I'm working with. That is what Derek told me <laughs> when I first started. So what this meant is that I wasn't, I wasn't like, I was like, listen, it's all a yes. Right. And like, and I basically was like, this person essentially needs to threaten me <laughs> before I let them off the hook. So, so that, you know, so that, so that being said though, I mean, I don't want people to, to, you know, call the CEO and say that I'm harassing them or anything like that. But my whole thing was like, all right, I want to, I want to, I want to bring a lot of value to them. Um, so I really need to understand their world, but I also need to recognize that like the the best thing that I could ever do for myself as an SDR is have a conversation with someone regardless of the outcome. So again, so six months into the role, I had this pre-vetted list, where I had the, I had the initial research on it but it was also two to 300 people mm-hmm. that I had actually had conversations with. So that at any point in time, like, so it's like, Hey, how did you hit 200 plus percent of your number? Listen, I've already had conversations with these people that told me to follow up. So like, I, that to me is I'm like, listen, do, you know, like, right. Do, do your research, right. Like manage your time. Well, of course, but, like do your research, invest in yourself, invest in your own personal development. Don't just rely on the company that you're working for to make you better because a lot of companies are going to let you down if you if you come in with that kind of mindset. So if you're accelerating your learning, right, you're getting better at your job. You're doing the critical things that are really going to have the biggest impact on like, all right, you're having quality conversations. And at that point in time, as an SGR, you've built up a lot of pipeline. Like your, your pipeline is your conversations in that way. Um, and the next part of this is just making sure that the timing is right. So I like, I like to keep it simple in that way. And like that to me is what I felt like brought me in, and generated a, a lot of success. There's of course, other things that you can do such as, you know, planning with, I mean, I had a really great partnership with my AE at the time, but I mean, I got, to, got to a point in time where I was the one who was directing him on what accounts we should be working.
1: That's the, uh, the account executive's dream right there to have an SDR leading them from meeting to meeting from from deal to deal so that's awesome and yeah it I was love-
2: meeting to meeting deal to deal account to account like I was just like hey I'm, I'm the one who's doing a lot of the research I was basically like all right I'm I'm coordinating this region and you're going to be number one AE and I'm going to be number one AE and we're both going to make each other money so the sooner that we're okay with that let's get after it even to the point of you know uh, I'd also recommend like being on calls with your AEs You don't have to go on every single one because you have a job to do. I think also having that time on the conversations, hearing these executives talk about what's going on in their business, but even more importantly, capturing their reactions and, and capturing their feedback to your platform and how it can either support them or not. And then also doing a debrief with your AE. So like, I remember with that AE that I had at the time, I would hop on some of the calls. Uh, maybe I would hop on like three or four calls a week. And when I first started and it got to, and then it was like more like maybe like three or four times a month. So once a week, but there were times where I was coaching him during the call. Right. So again, for I think this goes back to like take, really taking ownership of your career I think a lot of folks where they get messed up is, is a little bit corny because I see so many posting about, you're not just an SDR, right? Uh, it's not enough just to put that in words, but put it in actions. Like be open to giving and receiving feedback to your AE. You got got all our, 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 our teammates, right? Like iron sharpens iron. So like, you know, just you're, you're a sales professional, like you have something really valuable to offer. And so put yourself in positions and get the learnings to be able to, to maximize that, then once you have it, like don't be afraid to flaunt it.
1: Makes sense. Well, you your quote from uh and apologies in advance to Derek for uh stealing your idea and sharing it with the world. But the quote makes me think of a of a quote from from Boiler Room, not that we're trying to train a bunch of boiler room reps, but the whole, you know, a sales made on every call. Either you sell them on on what you're pitching or they sell you on a reason to get off the phone. And mm-hmm. I think having that mentality early, you know, just basically Look, I'm going to go behind enemy lines with a Bowie knife, and I don't know how, but I'm going to fight my way back home. is just so important, especially for someone who's just getting into this industry and has so much to learn. You've made a lot of comments about owning your own growth, about learning, about having helping people level up, and it seems like that's a mix of, you know, to your point, quality management and leadership, but also people going above and beyond to learn further. Obviously, you have this side role for anyone who has seen you up on LinkedIn. I wouldn't call it a side role rather than a, uh, a passion project. But you, you teach twice a week as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes, yes, I can. And before I do, real quickly, just one more thing, one more little nugget for like things that can help. I, I remember I gave myself a rule like I think I was I had a conversation with someone and I felt like I could have done better and I feel like I left them off. I like I let them off easy. And then I made a commitment to myself that I would never be the first person to hang up the phone. I was like, they're going to have to hang up on me. Straight up. So like, I am having conversations with folks and one person, I can recall this conversation, he goes, you're not going to let me off the phone until I take a meeting, are you? And I was like, I'm glad that we're on the same page now, Jeff. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so like, I yeah, thank you. So, you know, like, it was just little things like that of like, how can I challenge? It's basically like, I have to be, I need to get really comfortable being uncomfortable and recognize that in that discomfort, that's really where I'm going to find the most growth. So I'm sure that's in, written in books because I've seen it in an image, like a whatever, but, um, so passion. Yeah. So passion project. I mean, it is, I mean, it is a, it is a sidekick. Okay. So, um, I think like women in sales club, like that to me is my passion, hundred percent, but for, um, yeah, so I just signed on to be a senior instructor Uh, a company called Elevate. And so I'm sure I'm using the wrong words here, but the way I think about this is it's a like work transition development program. So a lot of the folks who are in the class that I'm teaching right now, these are folks who have never been in sales before. Like, I think I have one guy on my one guy in my class right now who is a, he's an artist. There's someone else on the team who would like who's in the class who just graduated high school. There's other folks who are, you know, they if they've been in sales, it's been working at car dealerships. And, you know, there's there's one woman who who's a nurse, right? Who's looking to transition and get into sales. So the things that I'm really doing in that one is exposing them to like kind of the concepts and, and the learnings that they're going to need to know or that can help accelerate their development, moving into an SDR role, preparing them for the interview process. Is really giving them that nuggets of wisdom that will really help them understand what are you getting, what are you getting yourself into before you actually make the commitment to get into sales? And again, what are people going to expect from you and much in much the same way that my mentors had shared like these nuggets with me? I have the opportunity to share those nuggets with them. So they'll be better set. So that's just something again. I don't know if it's a passion. I, I feel like it's a duty, honestly. I feel like that's a duty of like we, we got to get this done.
1: That's awesome. I, I really like that, that mentality. And if you think about it's it's often hard for people to figure out how to give back. But most people in roles that have been in this place for a while, in this, or rather in this space for a while, they have a lot to give back. They just don't know how to teach that. And whether they're in a manager role and they have a lot of those types of people you just mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. or whether they're maybe an experienced sales rep, experienced SDR, I think one of the things that a lot of our listeners struggle with is how do I give back properly? How do I teach people? So, to, to simplify the question, maybe we can take it from a management perspective. If if you're a manager and you have a new wave of, of hires coming in, of SDRs that you're very excited about, but they're new to this space and they don't know how to talk the talk and they've never read predictable revenue and they don't know, you know all the random terms and three and four letter abbreviations they're going to hear, where do you tell them to start educating themselves? Do you just give them a pile of books and say, read this or webinars or what kind of guidance, what do those nuggets look like?
2: I don't think reading predictable revenue is a requirement sorry aaron ross but it's an old book <laughs> so it's an old book like the book that i like to suggest to folks is outbound sales no fluff by um is it rex fieberston and i don't know the other person's name off the top of my head and you know there's there are resources out there where you don't it's like it's like so small. It's such, it's like a field book and it's such a quick read. They don't even, they, they didn't even bother to put page numbers on there. So it's like, he's like, I, I've read it at work in like 45 minutes or less. So that's, to me, it's just offering up like there, I think it's like, just are the concepts that you need to know. Like, I don't think that we need to get so caught up into the acronyms of things, the names of things, because you're not going to get paid on knowing what SAO stands for, right? You're going to get paid on booking a meeting that's going to be qualified accepted by a sales rep. So for me, it's much more about, let's just get you calling. Let's get you comfortable making mistakes. Let's get you comfortable asking for help. Let's get you comfortable going out and finding resources. I think a lot of it has to start off with, you have to know where you're starting from, accept it, honor it, but also like for me as a manager, it's me doing the exact same thing, right? Of like, Hey, I recognize that you're coming in here with absolutely no, no experience. So you're going to have to work really fucking hard. And here's what working really hard means. And you're also going to have to give a lot of feedback because if I, as a man, like I think there's, a, there's also a lot of managers. I'm, I'm now I'm just making, I'm making some broad sweeping statements. Right. So like, hold on from what I've observed is if, organizations are hiring for people who have experience, like these big SaaS companies are hiring for experience. That means that their leaders are very accustomed to people with experience. So when they get people with no experience, even the managers are going to have to do some ramping here and figuring some stuff out. So the best thing that we can do is figure out a way to build trust, to get really comfortable providing feedback both ways hey, how are you feeling supported right now? You're not feeling supported. Do you feel confident? Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel competent? No. Okay. Walk me through. What could I be doing better? Like if I'm sharing, I have to constantly be asking for feedback by share. Hey, like do X, Y, and Z. How does that feel? How does it sound? Now you walk me through it and they're lost. We need to spend some more time on that. So again, for me, I don't, I'll be honest. I really don't care about whether or not, you know, the acronyms I care about. Are you going to work really hard? And are you going to ask a lot of questions? And are you going to, use your mouthpiece in providing feedback and asking for what you need.
0: Switching gears a little bit. I'm I'm curious and maybe this does touch on the human side, which I think you've you've got a very solid approach for, but I'm curious about the strategy and tactics and especially as related to the cohort, the personas, the ICP that you're going to penetrate depending on your company's product service or you know value propositions if you will. And and I'd love to get some of your thoughts on how you think about different size of company as a place to start differently. We were talking a little bit earlier about penetrating enterprises versus say, you know, commercial business or SMBs and how the motion might be a lot more complex for SMBs actually.
2: Oh yeah, no. So So, so my observations are going to come from my most recent experience with Gong. So, yeah. So, I'm the the segment that I was in. We're going after companies two hundred and fifty people or less. If we were looking at enterprise strategic teams, it was those segments were focused on companies that had a thousand or more employees. Like strategic was like seven thousand plus. So one. So I think one of the like I would imagine. So one of the challenges in working up market is really understanding. What does this account look like, right? It, so it's like, all right, hey, like who, who are the people? How are they connected together or not connected together? What are the different lines of the business? And so we kind of have to have that mapped out. And a small, medium-sized business is pretty clear who your people are, right? Like I have to find like three people. That's it. In enterprise at market, right? You're some crap ton of people. Um, <laughs> like It's just like, it's, uh, like, yeah, like the number of people you're going to have to reach out to might as well just be a small, medium-sized business. So like per account.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the 14 that Gartner has in the typical buying group of an enterprise company.
2: Yeah, so, and that's just assuming that you actually get those 14 people in the buying process, but as an SDR, BDR, you're probably engaging with way more people than those 14. So if we think about this for a second, right? Like one of the, um, this is a conversation that I've had with a few different folks who are, in, uh, who are up market is given the fact that there are so many points of entry, it can be much easier to actually get a conversation going. Up market versus and 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 so that that's one part of it. But also let's say that you mess up with like one director or one like one person in enterprise, you still have 49 other people to go in a small, medium-sized business. Call a CEO, you mess it up, you're gonna have to wait a while (laughs) and you're done, right? (laughs) So so that's one thing. Right. I think another part of this that I look at as well, is like looking at the workload and like in what like, and how many things do you need to manage at the same time, too. Now, what I what I see in if I see like an enterprise strategic is people have a book of accounts that probably is no more than 50, 50 accounts. So what this means is you get to really understand your book of accounts very, very well. And you can know it like in the back of your hand. Now, if you're in like SMB, like I was each one of my reps had at least 1,000 accounts, at least. That's a lot to manage. It's a lot to prioritize. It's a lot of moving pieces all at once. And it moves really fast. So I'm like, you essentially have to be juggling so many different things all at once. You have so many more, I feel like, failure points as well. And typically, these are also folks who, like in the SDR world, from what I've seen, these are also folks who have higher quotas compared to upmarket. A third piece that I'll share here is, I think again, so some of the, some, what I've observed, some of the challenges, or one of the things that can really help upmarket is really being able to connect the dots. Who in your network knows the decision makers? So this is probably why I would imagine like a partner program, a channel program is very, very effective upmarket because they already have those established relationships. And you're trying to figure out like, what is the path of least resistance to get here? And it might not be a straight line. So like, all right, if one of the challenges is like, all right, hey, like, how do you figure out a way to connect the dots? Okay. Oh, So yeah, so like, if, if so I think like upmarket, one of the challenges might be, how do I connect the dots? I might have to do a lot more research in that way, but maybe there is a quicker entry point or like, maybe you already have a relationship with one part of the business and they can start to introduce you to other parts of the business. Now, if you're an upmarket SDR and you get paid out on what do they call it multi-threaded opportunities, like this is what we saw at Gong was what like I had commercial reps who were listening to upmarket reps calls because they're like, oh hey, how is so and so getting 200 percent of their quota? And they go and they listen to their calls and they go, oh hey, Eric, I saw uh, we're actually working with Harry over here in this line of business. And I just figured, you know, you might be interested in seeing how Gong could help your team out. So I think you have a lot more chances for referrals or it's a lot easier to make referrals up market than in commercial, right? Where commercial is probably going to look a little bit differently, which is if I'm an SGR, I'm probably going to have, like, I'm like, all right, again, I've got a thousand accounts. How am I going to prioritize those a thousand accounts? Also, like you have to be able to see like who's connected to maybe some of our customers and like, let me go and talk to the CSM to see, hey, CSM, you, could you ask so-and-so if they can refer me to this person over here, right? But then you have to figure out how to do that at scale. So for me, I, I just feel like, like there's 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 so many moving pieces in commercial. I feel like there's not quite as many failure points or there's not as many like points of entry um, within the company as well. There's not opportunities to have those multi-threaded opportunities either. And what I've seen is you have organizations, again, they're focusing so much on market and they want to land and expand. I would say landing and expanding is probably a lot easier to do than it is to kick off on a completely cold conversation. And let's not mention. not even forget about the fact... I hope I'm not sounding bender- bitter here because these are just observations that I have. But also it's not... And, and again, I recognize it's a whole thing where you know leaders have to figure out how much are we going to invest and how much we're going to get back, right? Like I need to make sure every dollar I spend is going to give me more than a dollar back. And it makes a lot of sense for the enterprise and strategic model to have a lot of focus, a lot of energy uh, across across the entire span of the go-to-market function. So that's you know marketing with like account-based marketing tactics. That's SDR world as well. That's CSM. That's growth AEs. Like you have, I think you can have a lot more centralization, uh, centralized efforts up market. Well, what I saw with commercial is you're not going to have those kind of resources. You're not going to have an account-based strategy model. Like you're going to just have to pound the phones and just get after it kind of like with brute force and also recognize if you have kind of a high ticket item that is a nice to have and not a need to have. Small companies are likely, they're going to likely be a lot more resistant. And then I also, what I saw in the commercial field is in order for us to expand past just like kind of traditional SaaS models, this also means that we're dealing with a lot of technophobes. So Like we, so it's like, all right, you have to be phenomenal at managing a book of accounts. You have to be phenomenal at like. I think you just have to be excellent in so many ways, and you you, you kind of have to like mitigate the failure points so much more than what you really have to do market within the within the lens of sales development, right? I can't. I don't know if that applies for for the sales team closers, but this is what I observed looking at commercial versus upmarket.
1: Not only do I not think it's negative, I actually think it's refreshing for a lot of our listeners to hear someone say that maybe enterprise isn't always the highest stakes, most intense, terrifying thing they have to run screaming from when they see it. Maybe if anything, it's actually sometimes lower intensity or lower stakes because you do have those other opportunities, other ways in, all the things that you just named. So yeah. if anything, I think it's very refreshing that this is this is doable. It's not some unattainable space that you just have yeah. to have crazy special skills for.
2: Yeah. It's... um. Yeah, so, I mean, when um, at the time that this is being recorded, right? In between jobs, by the time we have it, I'll be at Airtable. I'll, I'll either be managing a team. Um, so I, like, I'll like i be managing a team that technically will be enterprise strategic. And I bet my bottom dollar that what I've learned being in commercial, it's, it's going to be absolutely fantastic going back into the enterprise and strat space for sales development. Because again, it's like in terms of like managing the book, in terms of man, I mean there's so many data points that I have to look at because it's just like high velocity, you know, it's essentially it's high, it's supposed to be high velocity. Um, it's not always high velocity, but we try to, it's a higher velocity than upmarket, but it's like, how do we move quickly? How do we have more conversations? Like, how do we really manage our book of business? Um, how do we educate, right? How do we do the bottoms up? So I feel like I cut my teeth like so hard. In commercial. So I'm I'm really excited about being able to bring those learnings to an upmarket team in that way. But yeah, I mean, I again, this is this experience is very much informed by like my past year here. I don't know if it's the exact same for every single company. But yeah, what what I see is it's like, oh hey, you know, say the companies reach this inflection point where they go, look at look at enterprise, look at upmarket. Like that's gonna be our ticket to the next, the next um part of our growth and they put all their resources they put all of their eggs in the bucket of enterprise mid-market and this isn't just like what i saw this past company it's what i've seen at multiple kinds of companies and it's like it is hard to go up market. It is. It's very very challenging and also when I see that the majority of the companies I've been working at, the majority of our money is coming from those like mid-market SMB accounts, I'm like, okay, you know, we, we still have to focus a lot on that and to just divest from it essentially and tell people to work harder. I think is a missed opportunity. So, it is nice to have an appreciation of like commercial. That's something I didn't have prior to coming to Gong, but I do I do now.
1: We did want to ask you a little bit something you mentioned when we were chatting before we started the podcast and you were talking about leadership in general. And we talked about all the different types of managers out there, some maybe stronger than others, same even some of the people out there. And as you work into this new role, and as you're thinking about what you're going to do there differently, you know, one thing that you mentioned to us when we were chatting was how people over-index on KPIs, and you said there's a better way to lead and inspire. So how are you going to lead and inspire at this new role?
2: I just actually I just did a presentation on this yesterday for reply.io. Yeah, I had yeah, I created slides and all these things. And it really was the context that I have here for this. We're totally going to go over by the way. So you can tell I'm a gabber mouth. So I I've observed. So this is like real life observations. When you have folks who come into organizations and they make everything about KPIs, people quickly feel like a number. If all you ever talk about are numbers, people start to internalize that. And so when you have people who feel like they're a number, who feel like they're replaceable, even if they are, which we know employees are, right? Even if like, we know it to be true that they are, you don't want people to feel that way. Like you don't want people to internalize that situation because as soon as that happens, that's when you start having people feel like they're disengaged. And this is just my, this is my thing is like, when someone is, especially in the SDR world, like, if you have one bad apple, it ruins the bunch. You might have a couple of top performers on the team, but if you're on a team of 10 and you only have 20% who are hitting, then that starts to cultivate a lot of like, I think, resentment, a lot of frustration, and a lot of toxicity as well. And I think a lot of this is if we're only focusing on the quantitative side of our of our of our work, if we're only focusing on managing the numbers, like it just has such a detrimental effect on the culture of the team. And um, there's what the quote, like, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I truly do believe that as well. So when I think about what's the other side of that, right? Like what's a more balanced approach? There's tons that I've read about servant leadership of, of, you know, putting people first in that way. But I think there's other things that are really simple, which is, you know, like at the end of the day, everyone wants to really just be like seen, heard, understood and acknowledged and recognized. Like people want to connect. They want to feel like they belong. They want to Feel valued, right? Like if you can throw up like Maslow's hierarchy of basic human needs. Essentially, like people want to reach a level of kind of self like self actualization. I think work is a great place to help them get there. So the things that I you know that I do, it's like number one, I want to know this person as a person. Like tell me about yourself. So there's a simple exercise that I'd recommend. I got this from um, her name's Jessie Sloan. She's one of the managers at Gong on the AU side. Spend you know put a one on one down with, with one of the folks on your team. Have them talk about their lives for seven minutes and then you go after that. Seven minutes uninterrupted, you'll learn so much about a person and they'll learn so much about you. Really like ask questions to understand what motivates people. And and when I think about motivations, like for example, someone might come in and say, oh, I'm motivated by money. Great. I learned this from Kevin Dorsey. Tell me, give me three examples of times where you've changed your behaviors because of money. If they cannot give three examples, they're likely not motivated by it. So it's like, next, right? Like, like now, like, tell me about times where you, you know, you, you change your decision for something. What was that? Walk me through that. So it's really understanding, like, what are, what are people's whys? What are you really trying to accomplish? Why does that matter? What's the compelling event? You're kind of like running discovery on them. You get really, really curious about them. I always like to ask questions about how can I show up for you in a way where you feel really cared for? Like, I, I'm like, I want people to feel cared for at the end of the day, because I know that if they feel cared for and they don't have to doubt whether I care about them they're probably going to run through walls for me,
0: you know it's funny. Yeah. I think this may even be doubly true in the profession that we've all chosen, largely because SDRs are on the front line. They're getting rejected on the daily. And you know <laughs> there's the human brain actually interprets rejection fundamentally more painful than actual physical pain, fun mm-hmm. fun fact, about our, <laughs> our yeah. brains, if you will. so that that humanistic whole employee, Kind of understanding um, the person side of things seems more important nowadays than ever, doesn't it?
2: A hundred percent. The way, okay, so I got, I, got, I got stories for days. So I hope y'all can go over. Uh, so prior to getting into sales, when I lived in France, I was a nanny in an no pair, just watching little kids. And so I remember there was one, um, one family that I was nannying for. I started, started watching their kid, Damien. He was five months old. So I remember this kid, like, you know, if he was, Hungry if he was tired, absolutely lose his mind every single time. And I was like trying to figure. I'm like, yo, like at what point in time is he going to realize like it's just hunger? I'm like, he he has not lived enough life to recognize that this too shall pass, right? Like like this kid probably thinks that he's legit on the brink of death because he just doesn't. He's not familiar with hunger and being tired. So I think about that in the same. Not to say that SDRs are, are little babies, but in the context of their career, these are newborns. So everything that happens might feel earth-shattering, and so if I meet them, like if I were to treat a baby like I would a ten-year-old, people would accuse me of neglect. So, like, why are we not implementing? Like, why are we not imp, like why are we not bringing that t- kind of um, thought? Pro- I don't want to say why, why are we not. I think there's an opportunity to bring that same level of compassion, that same level of care, that same level of intentionality and empathy to folks who are just, I mean, for everyone, but especially for SDRs who are just, literally at the very beginning of their careers and really helping them move, like really helping them to adjust well to their situation. And I so I, I think there's, if, if the only thing that you have to offer to someone is do 20 more calls, you're not actually helping people adjust in the situation. And again, I think there's an opportunity here for us as leaders to, have a much more meaningful impact for organizations, but more importantly for the people who comprise our organizations. And so like that to me is like the whole like servant leadership piece here, which is you are a person and I will treat you as such. And it's not dependent upon you working for me or working at this organization. And if I treat you in that way, I bet you the lasting impact is that you'll want to be here for longer. So again, uh, that again, it requires me to be there. I have to be there for them in the same way that I would be there for a five month old.
0: I'm so with you in that called arms. So with you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It'd be awkward if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: And you know, the truth of the matter is, is science now is somewhere North of 1200 people. So <laughs> we've got quite a few c- scenarios where we can practice what we preach all day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I just trying to think about it. I, again. I, the, the, the most proud I've ever been of a team. Now I'm, not, now I'm getting emotional, but the most proud that I've ever been of a team and, and also of myself was this, like the team that I, I just had at Gong. So I could just name out their names real quick. Shout outs. But like I had, yeah. So I had like Zaz, Andrea, David, Eric, Lana, Liz. And then I had two new folks who came onto my team like two weeks before I left Matt and Joe. And What I was really, really proud of is like I grew a lot as a leader, as a manager. Like the things that I'm sharing about now very passionately, like these are things that I had to learn over time and test it out. Like I tried to be the manager who was super data focused to support, like, you know, whoever was asking me to be more data focused. And reps interpreted that as me being insincere. Right. So I was, you know, I I had mentors who had uh, recommended I read radical candor. So it's like, how can I challenge people, but also how do I show them that I care? And a lot of it starts off with being able to build that relationship. So, you know, like I could, I, I got to a point in time where again, I had really, I, I got, I, I became in the same way that I was curious about how I can get better at my job. Like, I think, I think this is the, this is the thing right here. What I'm about it? I think, I don't know. We're going to find out, but The same way that as an IC, I was infinitely curious about how I can be better at my job. And it was a lot about like, what kind of tactics can I use? What kind of mindset can I have? I think as a manager, I have to be infinitely curious about my people. Like that's what I have to do. It's not about tactics and tactics means make more calls. It's about getting infinitely curious about my people. And that's, what's going to help me do my job better. So like I, I had that real estate because I'm like, because then people are like, oh, GB is really curious about me. Because I would even ask questions. I got this from Kevin Dorsey, like asking the question, would you rather work for someone who has high expectations of you or lower expectations of you? What does high expectations mean for you? And okay, great. Here's the expectation. Like, how do you want me to show up for you when you're meeting or exceeding those expectations? Essentially, like, how do you want to be recognized? And like, how would you like for me to show up if you're falling below that? So we're we're getting consent we're getting an agreement. So when I show up, I'm not micromanaging. It's we can we came up with an agreement of how we're going to work together. And so this is me fulfilling my end. Let's get after it. You said you want to hit 200. I'm the 200 manager, right? You tell me you want to hit 100, I'll show up differently. So like so in in, in in the same way that I'm curious about them whether someone's asking me this information proactively or not, I also have to be very vulnerable as a manager and share it with folks about myself. So that means if I don't know something, if things are really tough and whatnot, I also, I, I can either be the person who's drinking the Kool-Aid and everyone's like, yo, GB, we know that this is wild. Or I can show up with them be just very open and honest, which is not everything is awesome. Shit stank. And we, we're we gonna get through this. Mm-hmm. Might not know exactly how, but like, here's some ideas. like let's just give a lot of feedback. Let's keep on moving. And like, let's just give it our best effort and see what happens. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work. We learned a lot. Best case scenario is we overcame and we get to flex on everyone. Let's go.
1: I think that's awesome. And I think that's a great tip to, to close out on, not only in terms of it's, a, it's basically a partnership between the manager and the rep working together to hit a goal, but also just the curiosity tied together, I think was a, a really great way to bring together different parts of this conversation. Just have curiosity about what you do and what your your number one objective is when you're an individual contributor. That's whatever you're tasked with doing, setting meetings, things like that, closing deals. When you're a manager, that number one objective objective is your people and keeping that eye on the prize maintaining that curiosity, I think is awesome. I can tell we could probably have about a four and a half hour conversation about all of this stuff and more. I think this has been super helpful, really inspirational, especially for people who are maybe getting into this space. I think they're going to gain a lot from this. With the last couple of minutes, we always like to give an opportunity for, for our guests to pitch, uh, whether, it's, whether it's the teaching you're doing, the new uh, company you're joining, the company you're leaving. Whatever you'd like, but if, if you'd like to share anything with our audience, I'm sure they'd love to hear it. And before you do, I would just love to say thank you so much for everything you shared with us on behalf of all of us and, and our audience. I think it was great.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. this. is a wonderful conversation. Y'all did a great job asking questions and keeping me on track. So one plug that I'll have, I'm going to give a shout out to Gong. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal solution. And I would not ever join a company that did not have it. I'll just because I'm like, I can't, I can't coach. I can't help my team if I don't have it. So, I think that's like one big shout out that I would share with everyone, especially for folks who are looking for companies too is like, what is their tech stack and how are they enabling their leaders to be able to provide you with really solid and pointed feedback? I'm going to Airtable and I'm super excited about that. So, I'll be starting November 1st. And one of the biggest things that I'm really excited about again, if you couldn't tell, I'm really excited about like, learning, growth, development. They have a leadership team. that's very, very, very focused on, on developing their leaders. So their managers, middle-line management, all of that. So that's like one, one real big thing that I'm super excited about. And other one other shout out that I'm going to give is, one thing I'm going to promote is Women in Sales Club. So it's Alexine Moudouar, a friend and business partner and I. We started Women in Sales Club at the beginning of this year. Uh, initially started on Clubhouse where we we're having conversations about Topics for for professionals in sales, but especially kind of focusing on the experience of women. But our and we're very much focused on creating a very inclusive environment for, for everyone, men, women, anyone whatsoever, to be able to to have a conversations and do the work required to build more places of belonging in sales. And and we just started accepting sponsorships as well. So a lot of really exciting things that are happening there. But if you wanted to check us out, we're on Clubhouse every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Central Time. And you just follow us at Women in Sales Club and follow our LinkedIn page as well.
1: Definitely worthwhile. Check them out. I've actually worked with Alexine myself in the uh, Enterprise Sales Forum in Chicago. So hi, Alexine, if you're listening. Uh, But GB and Alexine are a heck of a team. So definitely recommend checking them out. And very few of these groups, you can actually put some time in on a Saturday because usually they all cram the same afternoons and evenings. So this is a unique time Maybe you can squeeze them in. So worth taking a look.
2: Yep. Definitely. Thank thank you so much
0: for having us. This has been fantastic. Thanks, GB.
2: Yeah. Thank you.